Chapter Twenty Eight of The Hidden Hand. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget. The Hidden Hand by E. D. E. N. Southworth. Chapter Twenty Eight. A Panic in the Outlaw's Den. Imagination frames events unknown in wild, fantastic shapes of hideous ruin, and what it fears creates. Hannah Moore. Dark doubt and fear, or other spirits lower. But touch not his, who every waking hour has one fixed hope and always feels its power. Crab. Upon the very same night that the three robbers were surprised and captured by the presence of mind of Capitola at Hurricane Hall, Black Donald, disguised as a negro, was lurking in the woods around the mansion, waiting for the coming of his three men with their prize. But as hour after hour passed and they came not, the desperado began heartily to curse their sloth. For to no other cause was he enabled to attribute the delay, as he knew the house, the destined scene of the outrage, to be deserted by all for the night, except by the three helpless females. As night waned and morning began to dawn in the east, the chief grew seriously uneasy at the prolonged absence of his agents, a circumstance that he could only account for upon the absurd hypothesis that those stupid brutes had suffered themselves to be overtaken by sleep in their ambuscade. While he was cursing their inefficiency and regretting that he had not himself made one of the party, he wandered in his restlessness to another part of the woods and the opposite side of the house. He had not been long here before his attention was arrested by the tramping of approaching horsemen. He withdrew into the shade of the thicket and listened while the travellers went by. The party proved to consist of Old Hurricane, Herbert Grayson, and the sheriff's officers, on their way from the town to Hurricane Hall to take the captured burglars into custody. And Black Donald, by listening attentively, gathered enough from their conversation to know that his men had been discovered and captured by the heroism of Capitola. That girl again, muttered Black Donald to himself. She is doomed to be my destruction, or I hers. Our fates are evidently connected. Poor Steve, poor Dick, poor Hale. Little did I think that your devotion to your captain would carry you into the very jaws of death. Pshaw, hang it. Let boys and women whine. I must act. And with this resolution, Black Donald dogged the path of the horseman until he had reached that part of the woods skirting the road opposite the park gate. Here he hid himself in the bushes to watch events. Soon from his hiding place he saw the wagon approach, containing the three men, heavily ironed and escorted by a strong guard of county constables and plantation negroes, all well armed and under the command of the sheriff and Herbert Grayson. Ha ha ha! They must dread an attempt on our part of rescue, or they never would think of putting such a formidable guard over three wounded and handcuffed men, laughed Black Donald to himself. Courage, my boys, he muttered. Your chief will free you from prison or share your captivity. I wish I could trumpet that into your ears at this moment. But prudence, the better part of valor, forbids. For the same words that would encourage you would warn your captors into greater vigilance. And so saying, Black Donald let the procession pass, and then made tracks for his retreat. It was broad daylight when he reached the old inn. The robbers, worn out with waiting and watching for the captain and his men with a fair prize, had thrown themselves down upon the kitchen floor, and now lay in every sort of awkward attitude, stretched out or doubled up in heavy sleep. The old beldame had disappeared. Doubtless she had long since sought her night lair. Taking a poker from the corner of the fireplace, Black Donald went around among the sleeping robbers and stirred them up with vigorous punches in the ribs and cries of, "Wake up, dolts, brutes, blockheads! Wake up! You rest on a volcano about to break out. You sleep over a mine about to be exploded. Wake up, sluggards that you are! Your town is taken. Your castle is stormed. The enemy is at your throats with drawn swords." 
"'Ah, brutes, will you wake, then, or shall I have to lay it on harder? "'What the demon? How now? "'What's this?' were some of the ejaculations of the men, "'as they slowly and sulkily roused themselves from their heavy slumber. "'The house is on fire, the ship sinking, the cars have run off the track, "'the boilers burst and the devil's to pay,' cried Black Donald, "'accompanying his words with vigorous punches of the poker "'into the ribs of the recumbent men.' "'What the foul fiend ails you, Captain? "'Have you got the girl, and drunk too much liquor on your wedding night?' asked one of the men. "'No, Mac, I have not got the girl. "'On the contrary, the girl, blame her, has got three of my best men in custody. "'In one word, Hale, Dick, and Steve are safely lodged in the county jail.' "'What? Perdition! My eye! Here's a go!' were the simultaneous exclamations of the men as they sprang upon their feet. "'And the fiend's name, Captain, tell us all about it,' said Mac anxiously." I have no time to talk much, nor you to tarry long. It was all along of that blamed witch, Capitola, said Black Donald, who then gave a rapid account of the adventure, and the manner in which Capitola entrapped and captured the burglars, together with the way in which he himself came by the information. I declare, one can't help liking that girl. I should admire her, even if she should put a rope about my neck, said Mac. She's a brick, said another, with emphasis. She's some pumpkins now, I tell you, assented a third. I am more than ever resolved to get her into my possession, but in the meantime, lads, we must evacuate the old inn. It is getting too hot to hold us. Ay, Captain. Ay, lads, listen, we must talk fast and act promptly. The poor fellows up there in jail are game, I know. They would not willingly peach, but they are badly wounded. If one of them should have to die, and be blessed with a psalm-singing parson to attend him, no knowing what he may be persuaded to confess— Therefore, let us quickly decide upon some new rendezvous that will be unsuspected, even by our poor caged birds. If any of you have any place in your eye, speak. We would rather hear what you have to say, Captain, said Mac, and all the rest assented. Well, then, you all know the devil's punch-bowl. Aye, do we, Captain. Well, what you do not know, what nobody knows but myself, is this, that about halfway down that awful chasm, in the side of the rock, is a hole, concealed by a clump of evergreens, that hole is the entrance to a cavern of enormous extent. Let that be our next rendezvous. And now, avant, fly, scatter, and meet me in the cavern to-night, at the usual hour. Listen, carry away all our arms, ammunition, disguises, and provisions, so that no vestige of our presence may be left behind. As for dummy, if they can make her speak, the cutting out of her tongue was lost labor. Vanish. But our pals in prison, said Mac. They shall be my care. We must lie low for a few days." so as to put the authorities off their guard. Then if our pals recover from their wounds, and have proved game against church and state, I shall know what measures to take for their deliverance. No more talk now. Prepare for your flitting, and fly. The captain's orders were obeyed, and within two hours from that time no vestige of the robber's presence remained in the deserted old inn. If any sheriff's officer had come there with a search warrant, he would have found nothing suspicious. He would have seen only a poor old dumb woman— busy at her spinning-wheel, and if he had questioned her, would only have got smiles and shakes of the head for an answer, or the exhibitions of coarse country gloves and stockings of her own knitting, which she would, in dumb show, beg him to purchase. Days and weeks passed, and the three imprisoned burglars languished in jail, each in a separate cell. Bitterly each in his heart complained of the leader that had, apparently, deserted them in their direst need." and if neither betrayed him, it was probably because they could not do so without deeply criminating themselves, and for no better motive. There is said to be honor among thieves. It is, on the face of the matter, untrue. There can neither be honor, confidence, nor safety among men whose profession is crime. 
The burglars, therefore, had no confidence in their leader, and secretly and bitterly reproached him for his desertion of them. Meanwhile, the annual camp-meeting season approached. It was rumored that a camp-meeting would be held in the wooden vale below Tip-Top, and soon this report was confirmed by announcements in all the county papers. And all who intended to take part in the religious festival, or have a tent on the ground, began to prepare provisions, cooking meat and poultry, baking bread, cakes, pies, etc., and preachers from all parts of the country were flocking in to the village to be on the spot for the commencement. Mrs. Condiment, though a member of another church, loved in her soul the religious excitement, the warming up, as she called it, to be had at the camp meeting. But never in the whole course of her life had she taken part in one, except so far as riding to the preaching in the morning and returning home in the evening. But Capitola, who was as usual in the interval between her adventures, bored half to death with the monotony of her life at Hurricane Hall, and praying not against but wishing for fire, floods, or thieves, or anything to stir her stagnant blood, heard of the camp meeting, and expressed a wish to have a tent on the campground, and remain there from the beginning to the end, to see all that was to be seen, hear all that was to be heard, feel all that was to be felt, and learn all that was to be known. And as Capitola, ever since her victory over the burglars, had been the Queen Regnant of Hurricane Hall, she had only to express this wish to have it carried into immediate effect. Old Hurricane himself went up to Tip-Top, and purchased the canvas, and set two men to work, under his own immediate direction, to make the tent. And as Major Warfield's campaigning experience was very valuable here, it turned out that the Hurricane Hall tent was the largest and best on the campground. As soon as it was set up under the shade of a grove of oak trees, a wagon from Hurricane Hall conveyed to the spot the simple and necessary furniture, cooking materials, and provisions. And the same morning, the family carriage, driven by wool, brought out Major Warfield, Mrs. Condiment, Capitola, and her little maid, Patty. The large tent was divided into two compartments, one for Major Warfield and his man, Wool, the other for Mrs. Condiment, Capitola, and Patty. As the family party stepped out of the carriage, the novelty, freshness, and beauty of the scene called forth a simultaneous burst of admiration. The little snow-white tents were dotted here and there through the woods, in beautiful contrast with the greenness of the foliage. Groups of well-dressed and cheerful-looking men, women, and children were walking about. Over all smiled a morning sky of cloudless splendor. The preachings and the prayer-meetings had not yet commenced. Indeed, many of the brethren were hard at work in an extensive clearing, setting up a rude pulpit, and arranging rough benches to accommodate the women and children of the camp congregation. Our party went into their tent, delighted with the novelty of the whole thing, though old Hurricane declared that it was nothing new to his experience, but reminded him strongly of his campaigning days. Wool assented, saying that the only difference was, there were no ladies in the old military camp. I have neither time nor space to give a full account of this camp meeting. The services commenced the same evening. There were preachers of more or less fervor, of piety and eloquence of utterance. Old Christians had their first love revived, young ones found their zeal kindled, and sinners were awakened to a sense of their sin and danger. Every Christian there said the season had been a good one. In the height of the religious enthusiasm there appeared a new preacher in the field. He seemed a man considerably past middle age, and broken down with sickness or sorrow. His figure was tall, thin and stooping, his hair white as snow, his face pale and emaciated, his movements slow and feeble, his voice low and unsteady. He wore a solemn suit of black, that made his thin form seem of skeleton proportions, a snow-white neckcloth, and a pair of great round iron-rimmed spectacles, that added nothing to his good looks. 
Yet this old, sickly, and feeble man seemed one of fervent piety and of burning eloquence. Every one sought his society, and when it was known that Father Gray was to hold forth, the whole camp congregation turned out to hear him. It must not be supposed that in the midst of this great revival, those poor, sinners above all sinners, the burglars imprisoned in the neighboring town, were forgotten. No, they were remembered, prayed for, visited, and exhorted. As no one took more interest in the fate of these men than good Mrs. Condiment, who, having seen them all on that great night at Hurricane Hall, and having with her own kind hands plastered their heads and given them possets, could not drive out of her heart a certain compassion for their miseries. No one either admired Father Gray more than did the little old housekeeper of Hurricane Hall, and as her table and her accommodations were the best on the campground, she often invited and pressed good Father Gray to rest and refresh himself in her tent, and the old man, though a severe ascetic, yielded to her repeated solicitations, until at length he seemed to live there altogether. One day Mrs. Condiment, being seriously exercised upon the subject of the imprisoned men, said to Father Gray, who was reposing himself in the tent, "'Father Gray, I wish to speak to you, sir, upon the subject of those poor wretched men who are to be tried for their lives at the next term of the criminal court. Our ministers have all been to see them, and talk to them, but not one of the number can make the least impression on them, or bring them to any sense of their awful condition.' "'Ah, that is dreadful,' sighed the aged man. "'Yes, dreadful, Father Gray. Now I thought if you would only visit them, you could surely bring them to reason.' "'My dear friend, I would willingly do so, but I must confess to you a weakness, a great weakness of the flesh. I have a natural shrinking from men of blood. I know it is sinful, but indeed I cannot overcome it. But, my dear Father Gray, a man of your experience knows full well that if you cannot overcome that feeling, you should act in direct opposition to it. And I assure you, there is no danger. Why, even I should not be at all afraid of a robber, when he is double-ironed and locked up in a cell, and I should enter guarded by a pair of turnkeys. I know it, my dear lady, I know it, and I feel that I ought to overcome this weakness, or do my duty in its despite. Yes, and if you would consent to go, Father Gray, I would not mind going with you myself, if that would encourage you any. Of course it would, my dear friend, and if you will go with me, and if the brethren think that I could do any good, I will certainly endeavor to conquer my repugnance and visit these imprisoned men. It was arranged that Father Gray, accompanied by Mrs. Condiment, should go to the jail upon the following morning, and accordingly they set out immediately after breakfast. A short ride up the mountain brought them to Tip-Top, in the center of which stood the jail. It was a simple structure of gray stone, containing within its own walls the apartments occupied by the warden. To these Mrs. Condiment, who was the leader in the whole matter, first presented herself, introducing Father Gray as one of the preachers of the camp meeting, a very pious man, and very effective in his manner of dealing with hardened offenders. "'I have heard of the Reverend Mr. Gray and his powerful exhortations,' said the warden, with a low bow, "'and I hope he may be able to make some impression on these obdurate men, and induce them, if possible, to make a clean breast of it, and give up the retreat of their band.' Each of them has been offered a free pardon, on condition of turning state's evidence, and each has refused. Indeed, have they done so, case-hardened creatures? Mildly inquired Father Gray. Ay, have they, but you, dear sir, may be able to persuade them to do so. I shall endeavor, I shall endeavor, said the mild old man. The warden then requested the visitors to follow him, and led the way upstairs to the cells. "'I understand that the criminals are confined separately,' said Mr. Gray to the warden. "'No, sir, they were so confined at first, 
for better security, but as they have been very quiet, and as since those rowdies that disturbed the camp meeting have been sent to prison, and filled up our cells, we have had to put those three robbers into one cell. I'm afraid I—began the minister, hesitating. Father Gray is nervous, good Mr. Jailer. I hope there's no danger from these dreadful men, all of them together, for I promised Father Gray that he should be safe myself, said Mrs. Condiment. Oh, ma'am, undoubtedly. They are double iron, said the warden as he unlocked a door and admitted the visitors, into a rather darkish cell, in which were the three prisoners. Steve the mulatto was stretched upon the floor in a deep sleep. Hale was sitting on the side of the cot, twiddling his fingers. Dick sat crouched up in a corner, with his head against the wall. "'Peace be with you, my poor souls,' said the mild old man, as he entered the cell. "'You go to the demon,' said Dick, with a hideous scowl. "'Nay, my poor man, I came in the hope of saving you from that enemy of souls. "'Here's another. There's three comes regular. Here's the fourth. "'Go it, old fellow. We're getting used to it. "'It's getting to be entertaining. "'It's the only diversion we have in this blamed hole,' said Hal. "'Nay, friend, if you use profane language, I cannot stay to hear it,' said the old man. "'Yow, ow, ow, yawned Steve, half-rising and stretching himself. "'What's the row?' I was just dreaming our captain had come to deliver us. Yo-ho! It's only another parson. And with that, Steve turned himself over and settled to sleep. My dear Mr. Jailer, do you think that these men are safe? For if you do, I think we had better leave excellent Mr. Gray to talk to them alone. He can do them so much more good if he has them all to himself, said Mrs. Condiment, who was, in spite of all her previous boasting, beginning to quail and tremble under the hideous gaze of Demon Dick's eyes. "'No, no, no,' faltered the preacher, nervously taking hold of the coat of the warden. "'You go along out of this, the whole of you. I'm not a wild beast in a cage to be stared at,' growled Demon Dick, with a baleful glare, that sent Mrs. Condiment and the preacher, shuddering to the cell door. "'Mr. Gray, I do assure you, sir, there is no danger. The men are double-ironed, and as malignant as they may be, they can do you no harm.' and if you would stay and talk to them, you might persuade them to confession, and do the community much service, said the warden. I—I—I'm no coward, but—but—but, faltered the old man, tremblingly approaching the prisoners. I understand you, sir. You are in bad health, which makes you nervous. Yes, yes, heaven forgive me, but if you, Mr. Jailer, and the good lady here will keep within call, in case of accidents, I don't mind if I do remain and exhort these men for a short time, said the old man. Of course we will. "'Come, Mrs. Condiment, Mum. There's a good bench in the lobby, and I'll send for my old woman, and we three can have a good talk, while the worthy Mr. Gray is speaking to the prisoners,' said the warden, conducting the housekeeper from the cell. As soon as they had gone, the old man went to the door, and peeped after them, and having seen they went to the extremity of the lobby, to a seat under an open window, he turned back to the cell, and going up to Hale, said in a low voice, "'Now, then, is it possible that you do not know me?' Hale stopped twiddling his fingers, and looked up at the tall, thin, stooping figure, the gray hair, the white eyebrows, and the pale face, and said gruffly, "'No, may the demon fly away with me if I ever saw you before.' "'Nor you, Dick?' inquired the old man, in a mild voice, turning to the one addressed. "'No, burn you, nor want to see you now.' "'Steve, Steve,' said the old man, in a pitiful voice, waking the sleeper, "'don't you know me either?' "'Don't bother me,' said that worthy, giving himself another turn, and another settle to sleep. "'Dolts! Blockheads! Brutes! Do you know me now?' growled the visitor, changing his voice. "'Our captain! Our captain! Our captain! 
They simultaneously cried, "'Hush! Sink your souls! Do you want to bring the warden upon us?' growled Black Donald, for it was unquestionably him in a new metamorphosis. "'Then all I have to say, Captain, is that you have left us here a blamed long time, and exposed to sore temptation to peach on me. Couldn't help it, lads. Couldn't help it. I waited until I could do something to the purpose. Now may Satan roast me alive if I know what you have done to turn yourself into an old man.' "'Burn my soul, if I should know you now, Cap'n, if it weren't for your voice,' grumbled Steve. "'Listen, then, you ungrateful, suspicious wretches. I did for you what no captain ever did for his men before. I had exhausted all manner of disguises, so that authorities would almost have looked for me in an old woman's gown. See, then, what I did. I put myself on a month's regimen of vegetable diet, and kept myself in a cavern, until I grew as pale and thin as a hermit. Then I shaved off my hair, beard, mustaches, and eyebrows.' "'Yes, blame you. I sacrificed all my beauty to your interests. Fate helps those who help themselves. The camp-meeting gathering together, hosts of people and preachers, gave me the opportunity of appearing without exciting inquiry. I put on a gray wig, a black suit, assumed a feeble voice, stooping gait, and a devout manner, and became a popular preacher at the camp-meeting. "'Captain, you're a brick. You are indeed.' "'I do not flatter you,' said Hal. It was a sediment in which all agreed.' I had no need of further machination, continued the captain. They actually gave me the game. I was urged to visit you here, forced to remain alone and talk with you, laughed Black Donald. And now, captain, my jewel, my treasure, my sweetheart, that I love with a love passing the love of woman. How is your reverence going to get us out? Listen, said the captain, diving into his pockets. You must get yourselves out. This prison is by no means strongly fastened or well guarded. Here are files to file off your fetters. Here are tools to pick the locks and here are three loaded revolvers to use against any of the turnkeys who might discover and attempt to stop you. To-night, however, is the last of the camp-meeting, and the two turnkeys are among my hearers. I shall keep them all night. Now you know what to do. I must leave you. Dick, try to make an assault on me that I may scream. But first, conceal your tools and arms. Hale had the instruments, and Dick, with an awful roar, sprang at the visitor, who ran to the grating, crying, Help! Help! The warden came hurrying to the spot. "'Take him out of this, then,' muttered Dick, sulkily getting back into his corner. "'Oh, what a wretch!' said Mrs. Condiment. "'I shall be glad when he's once hanged,' said the jailer. "'I—I I fear that I can do them but little good, and—and and I would rather not come again, being sickly and nervous,' faltered Father Gray. "'No, my dear good sir, I for one shall not ask you to risk your precious health for such a set of wretches. They are Satan's own. You shall come home to our tent, and lie down and rest.' "'And I will make you an egg-coddle that will set you up again,' said Mrs. Condiment, tenderly, as the whole party left the cell. That day the outrageous conduct of the imprisoned burglars was the subject of conversation, even dividing the interest of the religious excitement. But the next morning the whole community was thrown into a state of consternation by the discovery that the burglars had broken jail and fled, and that the notorious outlaw Black Donald had been in their very midst, disguised as an elderly field preacher. End of chapter 28